Welcome to 24 Hour Expert, where we challenge each other to see what we can learn on random topics in just a day. I'm Allie. And I'm Amy. Let's see what we've learned. All right, Amy. This week, I'm doing a listener topic. Ooh. And the topic is the White House. The White House. So where our president lives. Is it going to have like seven bathtubs? Oh, I don't know specific bathtubs, but I will tell you how many bathrooms are in it. Nice. Yes. So I took a lot of notes on this. There's a very, as you can imagine, rich history for the White House. So I have six full pages of notes. It's like sleep disorders all over again, though I think that was like seven or eight pages. So let's get cranking. Let's not waste too much time. What is the White House? According to whitehouse.gov, the White House is where the president and first family of the United States live and work. But it is also the people's house, where we hope all Americans feel a sense of inclusion and belonging. Oh, nice. The White House has been occupied by every president since John Adams, who was our second president, in the family of the different residences and vehicles of the president. There is also Camp David, which is located in Maryland and has been a presidential retreat since Franklin D. Roosevelt's time in office. There's Air Force One, which is any Air Force aircraft that is carrying the president, but today it consists of two highly customized Boeing 717-200B series aircrafts. Oh, you know, those 717-200Bs. The Eisenhower Executive Office Building, which is located next to the West Wing of the White House and houses the majority of the offices for the White House staff. The Vice President's Residence and Office, which is located on the grounds of the United States Naval Observatory. Hmm. So there's kind of like the the family of places, I guess. I don't know. I don't know what to call these. (laughs) Assets. Perfect word. Thank you. Okay. So let's get into it. In 1800, the national capital was moved from Philadelphia to Washington, D.C., and the White House has housed every president since. Construction took place between 1792 and 1800. It was designed by architect James Hoban in the neoclassical style. It was modeled after the Leinster House in Dublin, which houses the Irish legislature. The present-day White House complex includes the executive residence, West Wing, the East Wing, the Eisenhower Executive Building, I mentioned that, the Blair House, which is a guest residence. The executive residence is made up of six stories, the ground floor, the state floor, the second floor, the third floor, and a two-story basement. The property is a national heritage site owned by the National Park Service. Sure, that makes sense. So, Amy... First question you're going to ask me is, well, if it started with the second president, where did our first president live? I assume in his house. So George Washington, he occupied two private houses in New York City, which served as the executive mansion. The Capitol was then moved to Philadelphia in 1770 for the next 10 years while the permanent Capitol was built in the new federal district. So Mm. he stayed in... New York City. Then he moved to Philadelphia while they built Washington, D.C. 
Got it. In Philadelphia, Washington lived in the rented mansion of Robert Morris. President John Adams started his presidency in Robert Morris's mansion, but then was the first president who got to move into the actual White House. Imagine being the guy who designed that White House and being like, yeah, they'll keep this for a century or so. And then seeing that every president, well, I mean, not seeing, because I'm sure he's, you know. Yeah. But anyway, very cool. Very cool. Yep. So George Washington and his Secretary of State, Thomas Jefferson, agreed that the design of the White House and Capitol would be chosen in a design competition. Mm. Nine proposals were submitted for the new presidential residence, with the award going to, like I mentioned, James Hoban. Hoban supervised the construction of both the U.S. Capitol and the White House. Hoban was born in Ireland and trained at the Dublin Society of Arts. He emigrated to the United States after the American Revolution. Wow. It is said that President Washington visited Charleston, South Carolina, where Hoban lived during his Southern tour in 1791. He admired the Charleston County Courthouse that was under construction, which was also designed by Hoban. So he summoned him to Philadelphia and met with him and told him he needed to submit a design for the White House. Wow. So on July 16th, 1792, he made his final decision in the architectural competition and Washington, that is, made the decision, and he selected Hoban's submission. Interesting. Yeah. I do think it's kind of off topic, but on topic. I recently was talking to a colleague of mine who is not from the United States and I do think it's interesting that we say Washington because it's Washington, D.C. It's a very confusing thing for individuals who don't live here that Washington State and Washington, D.C. are not geographically near each other at all. Not at all. Yes. Yeah, because I feel like a lot of us who are familiar use context clues to know which Washington somebody's talking about. And yes. unless it needs to be said, you don't typically say Washington, D.C. or the state of Washington. Yes. And they just assumed because they were both named Washington, it was like West Virginia and Virginia. Right, yeah. <laughs> North and South Carolina. Yeah, North Dakota, South Dakota. Exactly. I mean, in fairness, we didn't help ourselves. No, we didn't, yeah. That would be an interesting, like, why did they pick Washington, D.C. as the name? Probably because of Washington. Oh, well, duh. There, you're probably right. Mm. Eh, well, maybe I'll look up 150th hour. Note to self. Note to self. Okay, onward. Construction of the White House began on October 13th, 1792, with the laying of the cornerstone. The main residence and the foundation of the house were largely built by both enslaved and free African Americans and employed Europeans. Much of the other work was done by immigrants, many who had not yet obtained citizenship. There are also conflicting claims as to where the sandstone used in the construction, so on the whole outside of the building is sandstone, where that sandstone originated from. Some reports suggest it's from the Croatian island of Brock, if I'm saying that correctly. Others suggest it's the original sandstone from Aquia Creek, Virginia. So hmm. one thing I read, and we'll get into more details about this in our timeline, is that the original sandstone is from Aquia Creek, Virginia. But then at one point, the British set the White House on fire. And when they rebuilt it, they're saying that's the sandstone that came from Croatian islands. Interesting. Yeah. It took eight years for the original construction, and it cost 232 
$1,371.83. So, Amy, no, it is time for your favorite game. How much would that be today in 2023? So $232,371.83. 8.2 million. Not actually not too far off. $5,676,313.14. I mean, okay. That's closer than I've been on other guesses. Yeah. Fun fact. Zillow estimates the real estate value of the White House to be $397.9 million. Oof. Yeah. So, the original White House, when it was finished, contained only two main floors. The sandstone was whitewashed with a mixture of lime, rice glue, casein, and lead, giving the house its familiar color and name. Although Hmm. we're going to talk more about the name. Because the building was originally referred to as the President's Palace, Presidential Mansion, or the President's House. Better. The earliest reference to it being called the White House was recorded in 1811. There's a myth that says that after it was burned, white paint was applied to hide the damage, giving it its namesake hue. It was referred to as the Executive Mansion until President Theodore Roosevelt established the White House as its formal name in 1901 via an executive order. Wow. Interesting fact. There is speculation that the name may have derived from Martha Washington's home, the White House Plantation in Virginia. So this is also cute. The article that this came from also noted that where the nation's first president courted the first lady in the mid-18th century. Oh, sure. <laughs> but interesting that Martha Washington lived on a plantation called White House Plantation. Interesting, yeah. When John Adams moved into the house, he wrote to his wife Abigail saying, and this is a quote, I pray heaven to bestow the best of blessings on this house, all that shall hereafter inhibit it. May none but honest and wise men ever rule under this roof. And women. President Franklin D. Roosevelt had Adam's blessing carved into the mantle in the state dining room. And women. (laughs) And also, uh, I don't think that quite held up, but that's not a discussion for today. Not for today. Thomas Jefferson added to the White House by adding east and west colonnades, and I hope I'm saying that word right, basically like long hallways to block the laundry and stable and storage that was on the grounds. Oh, sure. Next to and behind the house. So you can't see all the working parts of the house. The accoutrements. Yeah. And these colonnades would eventually become the hallways that are going to lead to the east and west wings. Every time you say west wing, I just think of the west wing. The TV show, yeah. (laughs) That was one of our dad's favorite shows. It's a great show. I've, I've only ever seen like snippets of it. But yeah, it was very well done. In 1814, during the War of 1812, the White House was set on fire by British forces. Rude. Only the exterior walls remained, and they had to be torn down and mostly reconstructed. So basically, they had to completely rebuild the White House. But in its same image. Yes. Like, they didn't change the design. Yeah, correct, correct. The British also took many objects from the house, and only three have ever been recovered. Oh. So of... They basically pillaged a bunch of stuff and then set it on fire. Wow. Yeah. So White House employees and 
slaves rescued a copy of the Lansdowne portrait, which is one of the full body, like life size portraits of George Washington. Mm. In 1939, a Canadian man returned a jewelry box to President Franklin Roosevelt, claiming that his grandfather had taken it from the White House. In the same year, a medicine chest that had belonged to President Madison was returned by descendants of a Royal Navy officer. Wow. So historians allege that most of what was taken when they pillaged the White House was actually on a British ship that ended up sinking off the coast of this small Canadian community called Prospect during a storm in November of 1814. Imagine how bummed your people would be, like, when they're like, go pillage the White House and burn it down and bring us all the goods. And then you're like, done and done. And then, not so much, sir. And then all you get is, like, a tin can. Exactly. And then they lose all of it. So a few things have been recovered, but... You know, that's a bummer to lose all that original stuff. The first president, after it was burned down, James Madison, ended up residing in both the Octagon House and in the seven buildings until the end of his term. Both Hoban, who made the original design, and a architect by the name of Lathrop, who helped Jefferson build the colonnades, ended up working on the reconstruction. And I guess they... Worked on the design a little bit, but stayed true to the original design. Yes. In 1881, when Chester A. Arthur took office, he ordered renovations and was assisted by Lewis Comfort Tiffany. That name should sound familiar to us. Lewis Comfort Tiffany, if you'll remember from our Tiffany episode, is famous for his glasswork designs for his family's company, a little company called Tiffany's. Interesting. He created and then installed in the White House a 50-foot jeweled Tiffany glass screen that was supported by imitation marble columns to replace glass doors that separated the main corridor from the north vestibule. Wow. Many other interior design elements were also changed at this time. Unfortunately, in 1902, Theodore Roosevelt removed the Tiffany glass screen and other Victorian elements that Arthur had implemented throughout the White House. Did they put them in storage? Is that why it's a two-story basement? Is that basement just stacking artifacts of like, I don't like your style, but I'm going to put it here for safekeeping. Oh, yes. And and we'll talk more about what families are allowed and they're not allowed to do to the White House nowadays. But but I want to know where this... 50-foot Tiffany glass screen is. Yeah. It's probably just, like, stacked behind some old stuff in the basement. Right. Yeah. Very dusty. So more expansions were carried out that moved the executive staff from the second floor of the residence to the newly constructed West Wing. So up until this point, the first family and all the staff are living and working in just the residence. So the main middle Mm. part of what is now the White House. So they put on the West Wing move a lot of the work part to that wing. President William Howard Taft added additional space to the West Wing, which included creating the very first Oval Office. That has since been moved and redone, but that's when the Oval Office became a thing. Hmm. The West Wing is also home to, like I mentioned, more staff offices, the Situation Room, And the Roosevelt Room, which is just a meeting room, a big meeting room. Hmm. In 1948, President Truman 
had to move across the street into the Blair house, which, like I mentioned earlier, was is usually used for visiting guests, while the timber frame of the White House was reinforced with steel. So the White House was getting so big that the, and probably because of, you know, fire damage and whatever, they tried to salvage, it wasn't supporting itself anymore. So they took out the original timber frame and put in a steel frame. Central air conditioning was also added at this time. Nice. Along with two additional sub-basements, providing more workrooms, storage, and a bomb shelter. Fun fact, President Truman had the original timber frame saved, and then he turned it into paneling that was used in several rooms throughout the house. That's a good idea. See, they should have done that with the Tiffany thing. I thought that that was so clever of him, just thoughtful of him to do that. Yeah. Well, John F. Kennedy was president. His wife, Jacqueline, or Jackie, directed a very extensive and historic redecoration and restoration of the house. This included finding artifacts that had once been housed there and bringing them back. So at one point, and I left this out originally, and I probably should have went and added it back in, but one of the presidents, when they were redecorating, had a big auction and people could come and buy what furniture existed in the house at the time. Oh my gosh. And he put a bunch of new stuff in. Yeah. So Jackie goes out and she's trying to find artifacts that were once in the house, bring them back. She also collected many other antiques, fine paintings, and did a bunch of other improvements. A lot of people and philanthropic organizations also donated to this cause. They went through and found different periods that represented the early Republic and world history and selected a theme for each room. Oh. Oh, So the green room, they did in a federal style. For the blue room, they did French Empire. For the red room, they did American Empire. And for the yellow oval room, they did Louis XVI. Hmm. And a Victorian style in the President's Study and the Treaty Room. This all resulted in a more authentic White House of grandeur stature and recalled the French tastes of Madison and Monroe. So really just Hmm. trying to bring the history back into the White House. Into the house. Yeah. Yeah. So in 1961, Congress enacted legislation declaring the White House a museum. Furniture, fixtures, and decorative arts could now be declared either historic or of artistic interest by the president. This prevented them from being sold. When not in use or display at the White House, these items will be turned over to the Smithsonian Institute for Preservation, Study, Storage, or Exhibition. Wow. Yep. And the White House retains the right to have these returned. So if you're an un- incoming president, you can kind of decide how you want it decorated using these pieces. I mean, that's at least a good plan. And we love the Smithsonian. Yes. Out of respect for the historic character of the White House, no major architectural changes have been made to the house since the Truman renovation. Since the Kennedy restoration, every presidential family has made some changes to the private quarters of the White House, but the Committee for Preservation of the White House must approve any modifications to the state rooms. So your personal quarters, you kind of, I don't want to say have free reign, but you have a little more reign, but any of the official historic rooms, you have to get approval. Which, that makes total sense. A hundred percent. I mean, you do have to live there after all. Yes, exactly. Charged with maintaining the historical integrity of the White House, the Congressionally Authorized Committee works with each first family, usually represented by the First Lady, the White House Curator, and the Chief Usher to implement the family's proposals for altering the House. Nice. Yeah. 
Okay, a few other notable additions, and then we'll move on to some fun facts. During the Nixon administration, the modern press briefing room was created over Franklin Roosevelt's old swimming pool. So under that press room is a swimming pool. Why would they get rid of the swimming pool? I don't know. But Probably didn't get much use. There's an outdoor swimming pool there, but this was an indoor swimming pool. Hmm. The Carter administration brought the first computers and laser printers, which were then expanded on during the Reagan administration. Smart. Yeah. It was accredited as a museum in 1988. Seems during- like that should have happened earlier, but okay. Yeah. During the presidency of Franklin D. Roosevelt, it was made wheelchair accessible, which was then expanded on in the 1990s by Hillary Clinton to make it more easily accessible for people coming to visit the house. Nice. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about the layout of the White House. And if we have some time at the end, I can go through what some of these rooms are used for. And if not, maybe we'll hit it in the 150th hour. But anyways... Are you ready for this? I'm ready. Okay. So imagine we're standing on the lawn of the house. We're looking at the house at the front of the house. Got it. So the middle is the executive residence. To the right is the east colonnade that leads to the east wing. To our left is the west colonnade that leads to the west wing. In front of the east colonnade is the Jacqueline Kennedy Garden. In front of the west colonnade is the famous Rose Garden. Hmm. The Rose Garden was established in 1913 by Ellen Louise Axon Wilson, the wife of Woodrow Wilson. President Franklin D. Roosevelt had it redesigned in 1935 and had cast iron furniture added to it. Nice. Yeah. All right. The ground floor of the residence features a diplomatic reception room, a map room, the China room, the Vermeil room. I'm probably not saying that right. And the library. The state floor has the family dining room, the state dining room, the entrance hall, the red room, the blue room, the green room, and the east room. The second floor, which is where most of the residences are, has a kitchen, president's dining room, a cosmetology room, a west room, an east room, the queen's bedroom, the queen's sitting room, the west wing sitting hall, the east sitting hall, a dressing room, the president's bedroom, a private sitting room for the president, the yellow oval room, the treaty room, the Lincoln bedroom, the Lincoln sitting room, all on the second floor. That feels like a lot of rooms for the second floor, given how many the other floors had. Right. Also, interesting that it's the queen's room, given the whole independence thing. Right. Yeah. That'd be interesting why they call it that. The third floor has the solarium, game room, linen room, the diet kitchen, which I don't know why that's regular from the regular kitchen. Maybe it's like a baby kitchen. Baby kitchen, yeah. And another sitting room. So if we have time, we'll go over what some of these are. But I just feel like I would be like, let's go sit in all the rooms. If you have this many sitting rooms, let's go sit. Exactly. Exactly. So the West Wing I talked about earlier has the press briefing room, the situation room, Oval Office, blah, blah, blah. The East Wing has additional office space, which can include the staff of the First Lady and the White House Social Office. The East Wing was built during World War II to hide construction of an underground bunker to be used for emergencies. And they also use the East Wing to host social gatherings. There you go. To hide a bunker and a party. Exactly. The grounds cover just over 18 acres of land. 
Sadly, though, in 2006, we lost a century-old American elm that fell down during a storm and flooding. Mm. A hundred-year-old tree. How crazy is that? That is kind of sad. It is so sad. Among the oldest trees on the grounds are several magnolias planted by Andrew Jackson. Wow. Yeah. Michelle Obama planted the White House's first organic garden and installed beehives on the South Lawn. Love that. Yes. So something that was interesting was the White House was open to the public until the early part of the 20th century. That is shocking. Yeah. So people could just come in, like knock on the door. Hey, what's up? President Thomas Jefferson held an open house for his second inauguration in 1805. After this, many people followed him home after the ceremony, and he greeted them in the blue room, and they hung out and partied. And apparently these parties weren't super uncommon. Interesting. In 1829, President Andrew Jackson had to leave for a hotel when roughly 20,000 citizens celebrated his inauguration inside the White House. So he was like, oh, it's getting a bit crowded. I got to go. His aides ultimately had to lure the mob outside with wash tubs filled with a mix of orange juice and whiskey. Ew. Yeah. Uh, did that work as a lure? Because I feel like I'd be like, <laughs> no. Apparently. They're like, let's keep the party started. We got to leave. All right. You don't got to go home, but you can't stay here. So open houses would be practiced until 1885 when Grover Cleveland arranged for a presidential review of the troops from the grandstand in front of the house instead of hosting it inside the house. Public tours of the White House have been on and off through history. Obviously, during war times or any sort of national crisis, not open to the public. Right. But for the most part, you can do tours of the White House. There is a annual reception on the 4th of July. They used to also do a New Year's Eve reception, but that didn't seem like it lasts very long. Bill Clinton kind of tried to revive it, but it doesn't seem like that's something that always happens. But mm. the 4th of July reception is a staple. But that makes sense. Yeah. The White House complex is protected by the United States Secret Service and the United States Park Police. The airspace over the Capitol is also closely monitored, and crafts are not permitted to fly in it. Yeah, that makes sense, too. Yeah. And actually, there was twice in history, once was a helicopter and once was something else, where somebody basically stole planes and landed on the White House lawn. Wow. Yeah. So now they have some very sophisticated tracking stuff. And you can't even, I mean, they'll take your plane down if you even get near it. So. I mean, yeah. Recommended. Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't think we're going to have time to go through each of what all the different rooms in the house are. Depending on how long the 150th hour goes, maybe I'll throw it in there. But sure. let's end with some interesting facts. And if there's a particular room you want to know, I mean, obviously you could Google it. But you could also email me, and I will Google it and tell you later. We love that. Your commitment yeah. is unmatched. Yeah. Okay, our fun facts. All right, first one. In 1911, okay, Amy, I have to talk about a few ghosts that haunt the White House. Yes, I was going to ask. Okay, thank you. I do feel like if it's been around this long, ghosts are inevitable. There's so many. I'm just going to talk about two, I think. I think that's all I put in here. Maybe I'll throw in a third for fun times. We'll see. But in 1911, there's a, according to this article, a little-known spirit of an unidentified 15-year-old boy called Thing. No. 
Yeah. That greatly frightened the Taft domestic staff, so President Taft's staff, in 1911. President Taft's military aide, Major Archibald Butt, wrote to his sister Clara, The ghost, it seems, is a young boy about 14 or 15 years old. Then there's some stuff cut out of the quote, and then he goes on in his note and says, They say the first knowledge one has the presence of the thing is a slight pressure on the shoulder, as if someone were leaning over your shoulder to see what you might be doing. So that's what he wrote to his sister. Hmm. So because of his staff all being freaked out by thing, President Taft ordered Butt to tell the White House staff that the first member to repeat stories about thing would be fired. Wow. So Taft was having none of these ghost stories. I like it. Many people have reported seeing Abraham Lincoln's ghost in the Lincoln bedroom and the yellow oval room. Hmm. Some of these people include First Lady Grace Coolidge, Prime Minister Winston Churchill, and Queen Wilhelmina of the Netherlands. Wow. Yeah. Those seem like relatively reliable sources. Yeah. There's also the ghost of Thomas Jefferson that plays his violin in the yellow oval room. How nice of him. Yeah. The yellow oval room seems like a hopping spot. It does. Also, one more just for funsies. Also, apparently on the grounds, there roams a young British soldier carrying a torch. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Non-ghost story fun facts. We love it. 132 rooms and 32 bathrooms in the White House. Mm, nice. There are 412 doors, 147 windows, 28 fireplaces, 7 staircases, and 3 elevators. 28 fireplaces. It has 5 full-time chefs that can serve dinner for up to as many as 140 guests and hors d'oeuvres for more than 1,000 people. Wow. Those are very proficient chefs. Yes. The White House requires 570 gallons of paint to cover the exterior. That's a fun fact. Yeah. It has a tennis court, jogging track, swimming pool, movie theater, billiard room, and a bowling lane. Singular. Yeah, because they can't go anywhere because, you know, security. Yeah. Well, and one of, not one of, several people, Michelle Obama included in this, presidents, first ladies, have all been noted to say how lonely, but I'm trying to think. I should have pulled the quote. So you're under constant supervision and you're never alone, but you can't go and do anything. So it would be very lonely to live in the White House. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, because Michelle Obama was quote saying like, you know, she lived there for eight years and could never open a window there because of security. You can't open windows. Yep. So it is 55,000 square feet. That's a lot of square feet. Yeah. The Biden administration has 464 staff members. Is that more or less than other people? A little more than I think kind of what the average is. Okay. Yeah. So this one I think is very interesting. These next couple are are both very interesting. Moving into the White House. It all takes place as soon as the sitting president leaves the White House for the president-elect's inauguration ceremony. So as soon as he goes to the ceremony for the next president... All of the sitting president's belongings are moved out, and the belongings of the president-elect are moved in. Not only is the furniture changed and artwork swapped, but the walls are repainted per the request of the incoming first family. All of this happens, Amy, in five hours. I was going to say, how many... That's not... That's very impressive. It's like extreme makeover to the extreme. 
I mean, yeah. And you must have like very specific, like you paint this wall, you do this thing. Like you don't, we're not, oh, you're I'm just not doing. Sure. Yeah. Also, be. I'm like, who are they calling? Or who are these movers? Also, can they come like do my whole house in five hours? Yeah. yeah. That'd be great. I know. Yeah. So this is another very interesting one. So the president and his family don't pay rent to stay at the White House, but they are responsible for paying for all meals at the White House and elsewhere and all events and the wages for those working the events and even for transportation. Many presidents have left the White House in serious debt, even though you get a salary of six figures. So for example, Bill Clinton, whose debt to the White House totaled $2.28 million and ten point six million by the time he left the office. And do they actually have to pay that back? I don't know if they have to pay it back. Hmm. I'll try and find that out. Okay, Amy, my last fun fact. Remember in the Ouija board episode, okay. we talked about Mary Lincoln holding seances in the White House. Yeah. Well, she did that in the Red Room. Ugh. <laughs> I don't support. Well, you couldn't have put that with the ghost facts. No, I wanted to save it for last. Sure. That makes sense. Yeah. I'm glad you feel happy about that. I do. It's my episode and I feel great about it. Mm-hmm. All right, Amy, that is more than enough for now. I think I'll end it here. But you know what? I am going to call it now. I think I'm going to do a follow-up episode on first ladies. Because there's I like a it. ton of interesting first ladies out there. Stop dibsing all the fun things. Mm-mm. We dibs Dalton John. We're dibbing first ladies. Mm-hmm. You're talking about cornholes over here. Should have thought of it first. All right, Amy, that's it for now. Do with that what you will. Thanks for letting us talk at you. If you have any comments, corrections, suggestions, or fun facts, you can email us or topics at 24hourexpert at gmail.com. Spell out all the words. It's also our website, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us there. Talk to you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to 24-Hour Expert. Our theme song is Lo-Fi World by Ricky Bambino. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe so you're notified of future episodes. 